Okay, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 44. We're going to start at verse 6 and the very first line of verse 7. And uh, it's on page 867 in our Bibles. As you're turning there, I just want to remind us that we're in the midst of a, of a six-week series. We're in week number five, talking about out of darkness and into light. What it is that, um, that, that God does in our lives is he takes us out of darkness and into light. And trust that as we've been talking about this, God has been helping you understand more and more and feel more and more um, the seriousness of the darkness that we are in and the darkness that's actually inside of us and the great hope that Jesus Christ gives us for rescuing us out of that. And, and delivering us from that. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, and the first line of verse 7, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. God is saying there and through the prophet Isaiah, he's, he's, he's striking out a statement saying, who actually is like me, God is saying. Who is like the Redeemer? And we know that Christ being God in the flesh, we've already thought on that in more detail already. These words apply to him. Who is like me? Who is like Christ? Well, then, if there is one like Christ, then declare it. Declare it, they says. Proclaim it. What I want to look at this morning is to look at this incomparable Christ that we have. And I'm going to run through a lot of verses and uh, kind of quickly. We won't take the time to ponder too long on each on each one, each thought that I have here. And my point in this is, is that sometimes we go very slowly and we look at just a few truths out of a particular verse. But today I want to do it another way where we get a bigger picture and see the bigger picture of this, this Christ and his incomparable nature as our, as our redeemer, as our bridegroom, as our advocate, and as our friend. Let's think of him as our redeemer. In Isaiah 61.1, it says, um, speaking, this is through the prophet, but speaking of the, of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Jesus Christ came and he was the fulfillment of that passage where he is the one who is setting captives free, giving freedom to prisoners. He's our redeemer. He's paid a price to redeem us. But let's think about how he is incomparable. There, are other, there have been other human redeemers of certain people, but think of Christ. First of all, think of the depth of the misery from which we're redeemed. It's not no mere 
slave human slave market as bad as that would be but this is much different in first thessalonians 1:10 it says jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come there's the depth of where we're redeemed from the wrath to come if you're visiting with us this morning um I just say go back and listen to some of the previous CDs. We can't take the time now to go into more detail. We've already done it. But that word wrath is talking about the even measured response of the holy God in justice towards the lawbreaker. What a depth, though, as we've thought of, of how we've all broken God's law and that we justly deserve to feel the wrath of God. And yet the Redeemer is come to redeem us from it and to deliver us from that. Incomparable. And also, not only the depth of the misery from which we're redeemed, but the numbers that he has redeemed. Listen to Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Looking into the future... <clears throat> And says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Jesus Christ, by paying the penalty uh, and substituting himself for sinners, he redeems people from all over the world. Amen. He's not just a tribal God. He's just not concerned about a certain kind of a person, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, every race, color, skin, language, culture. Jesus Christ is redeeming people from every one of those groups. Incomparable. And then we think about the means of his redemption. How is it that he redeemed in first Peter chapter one, verse 18 and 19, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Other people might try to help people with their riches. They might try to help people with their resources. But Jesus goes and gives his very life for us. He redeems us with his own blood, which means by his death, incomparable. And then we think of the way he redeemed. Uh, and I could, I could have a long list here, but I just think of two words come to mind, freely and fully. In Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. It's all grace. That God in his grace, you see, doesn't require from us the payment. He sends his son to make the payment for us and we don't deserve it and we don't do anything to deserve it, to get it, to merit it, to earn it. It's free. Incomparable. But that's because, as we've seen in recent weeks, that's because of how bad off we are in our problem with sin, that we couldn't get ourselves out. But Jesus Christ comes and freely redeems us and fully. I love Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, 
there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is therefore now no condemnation. That's the, that's the problem. That's what God, Christ is redeeming us from. Remember, it's from the wrath to come. That's condemnation. But when we're in Christ, it says, the scripture says there is no. It doesn't say there's 99% we're okay, but there's still 1% left. It doesn't say there's just a little bit left. Pretty good deal, but there's a little bit you have to do. It doesn't say that. It says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. It's all gone. Praise God for that. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. There is no one like the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Well, in Scripture... It also speaks of Christ. It uses a picture, a word picture of him being the bridegroom and us being the bride, meaning all of all of the people who are redeemed and and come to faith in Jesus Christ. We are the bridegroom pictured as the bridegroom and uh, excuse me, as the bride. And he is the bridegroom in Revelation chapter 19, six and seven. Again, in the future, it says, Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. There in the end, when, when the culmination of human history... It all comes together and there's this completion. It's pictured there as a, as a marriage feast with Christ being the bridegroom and all of us being the bride. And, and we're, we're, it's all brought now to completion. Let's think for a moment about him as the bridegroom. Um, he's incomparable. He takes as his bride the unworthy and the not beautiful. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, it says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I love this first because he's saying to the, to the Israelites, he say it starts, it's a long sentence, so I'm going to chop the middle out of it so you can catch something. It starts off, he says, the Lord did not set his love on you because this, this, or this. And now he's going to explain, oh, okay, now this is why the Lord is going to set his love on you. He says, but because the Lord loved you. That's why. You want to know why the Lord loved you? Loves you? It's because he loves you. It's not because of you in the sense of you've not done anything to earn the love. As a matter of fact, he was saying to Israel in one sense, if I can paraphrase it, if I was looking around for a nation to make my own, I wouldn't have picked you. You know, if I was just thinking of who, 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 wow, what would be a really good nation out there? It wouldn't be you. And then we say, well, why did you love them? And the answer is because I love them. And that's all you're going to know. 
But what you know by knowing that that's the answer is, it's not because of me. It's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm clean. It's not because I've got my act together. It's because God loves. And so he is incomparable as the bridegroom. He picks the unlovely. He picks the non-beautiful. And he loves us. And as the bridegroom too, he expects nothing and gives everything. Theologian of another error said, our poverty cannot enrich him, but he made himself poor to enrich us. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty, through his poverty, might become rich. Here's the bridegroom. Has nothing to gain in one sense. He expects nothing but gives everything. Uncomparable. And he's, as a bridegroom, he's self-sacrificing. That well-known passage in Ephesians 5, verse 25, where it's talking about husbands and wives, and there's a relation there of husband and wife relationship and Christ and the church relationship. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This bridegroom gives his life for the bride. Uncomparable. And then he gives us his honor. In Revelation 21, 9 and 10, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And here is that holy Jerusalem in one sense. That's, that's us. That's all of us sinners, lawbreakers, deservers of God's wrath. People who, who have to work hard to not sin instead of working hard to sin. And now we are exalted to the place where we're called the wife of the lamb, the holy one, the righteous one, the son of God. We've got his name. Hallelujah. Uncomparable. And then as a bridegroom, he rejoices over us. This passage is 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 um, is almost unbelievable. And yet it's true. It's it's in the scripture. Zephaniah three seventeen says the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you by his love he will exult over you with loud singing another version says he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy and so now Jesus Christ looks at you and you're you're ushered up into heaven and he is excited. He's shouting. He's singing. God himself is rejoicing over us, my friend. Who can compare? Who is like me, God says. Let him proclaim and declare it. There is no other bridegroom like him. Well, redeemer, bridegroom, advocate. Advocate In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, 
I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, well, that's all of us. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. We have a lawyer. We have a heavenly lawyer. Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father. Let's think about how he's incomparable as an advocate. First of all, he pleads our case with his blood. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, and it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. The blood has gone out. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's pled our case, not with words and arguments, but with his very life. Incomparable. And then he pleads our case eternally. Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He died on the cross, and in dying, he's, he's substituting himself for us. He's pleading for us, but he didn't stay dead. He's buried. Then on the third day, he rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven, and he lives forever. Amen? So now, living forever, he is always interceding for us. His very presence with the Father is an intercession for us. And so he pleads our case forever. Lawyers, we hire him for a time. The case is over. They forget us. Somebody years later has to mention our name. They'll say, I think I remember that. Go check their files. Not Jesus. Jesus pleads our case forever. He pleads our case with his blood. He pleads our case forever. And you know what? He succeeds in his pleading. In Romans 8, 33 and 34. Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So who's going to bring a charge now against me? Amen? Let, him, let Satan bring his charge. It will not succeed for my advocate has pleaded my case with his blood and is still at the right hand of the father and is still interceding for me. I am forgiven. He has won the case. Amen. Jesus Christ, incomparable, incomparable as an advocate. And lastly, he's in terms of uh, what we're thinking of his incomparable nature. He's incomparable as a friend, as a, as a friend. In Romans, uh, in John fifteen fifteen, we see how open hearted Jesus is. He's speaking to the disciples. He says, no longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is saying to them, I'm, I'm, I'm your friend as, as, um, as we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, we enter into a friendship with the son of God and he reveals 
things of himself to us. And as a friend, he's also generous. In John fifteen thirteen, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Some friends, uh, they lend each other money, and other friends do this and that, and we help each other out. But this friend gave his life. This friend gave his, his life. And he's a sympathetic friend. Remember, and we spoke of this a couple weeks ago in greater detail, he's come and he's, he left heaven and he, he became one of us. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. This friend of ours sympathizes deeply with us and knows our weaknesses and feels it. He knows it. He's our friend. And also, he's a constant friend. In John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Amen? He loved them to the end. Some of our friends change, right? Some people we we used to be close to are not close to anymore. And not necessarily because we wanted it that way, but apparently they did. Not with Jesus. He is an open-hearted, generous, sympathetic, and constant friend. His friendship is incomparable. Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. There is no one like this Jesus who has redeemed us as no other redeemer could or would. Who is our bridegroom par excellence, no comparison. Who is our advocate, who is our friend. This Jesus, this Jesus is incomparable. Now, perhaps over these five weeks, you've become to understand, you've you've begun to understand more clearly the problem that you have before God because of your own sin. I won't restate all of that right now. We've talked about it in detail, but you sense and you see more clearly now that you are a lawbreaker before God and that has grave consequences for you. As a matter of fact, the consequences are so great that your heart has begun to be troubled. That over these last weeks, your heart has begun to trouble you in a way that is new to you. You're experiencing things inside that you hadn't experienced, and they're not all pleasant. Your conscience has been unsettled, and you're troubled. And you're seeing, even as these weeks have gone on, you're seeing, however, that Jesus Christ is the answer to your problem. He's the answer. He's the God-given solution to the problem. And you've begun to desire Christ in a way that you haven't actually felt that before. That I want, I want Christ. I want that answer. I I want to be reconciled with God. I, I have broken his law and his justice demands that I be punished. Jesus 
I'm being told by scripture. Jesus substituted himself for me. He's my advocate. I want what he has done then. You're sensing in you that you want him and you want what he has done for you. Well, let me help you in the remainder of our time. Because just looking at Christ and seeing that he has done something doesn't mean that it's actually counting for you. Just hearing about it isn't enough. There's, there's something left in the picture. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, there's a familiar two verses. It says this, For by grace you have been saved. Saved means delivered. Delivered from this predicament we're in. For by grace, not earning it, but it's, it's a gift. You have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one will boast. It's a very crucial two verses in the Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now if I fast forward a little bit, and it says, not as a result of works. You and I are delivered from the predicament that we're in because of sin through faith. Not, it's saying, it's making a contrast. Not by works, and works is a Bible way of saying by what you do. In other words, I'm delivered from this predicament not by how good I am and by what I do. I'm delivered. It's a gift and I get it by faith. Amen? I've used this illustration before, but many of you, it's been several years, so I'm going to do it again. I'd like to think that everybody remembers everything I say, but I know better than that. But I need two volunteers. Dave Tresh, you're you're sitting on the end there. Can you come up here? Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you. Come on up here. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, both of you. I need two. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, uh, Dave, you grab this and you go go that way. Yeah. Now this rope's longer than we need, but it'll do. All right, you you grab that. It's a pretty pretty hefty rope, right? Pull it tight, pull it tight here. Okay. So what we're illustrating here is on on one side. We've got, not you, but we've got God. Okay. (laughs) Don't mean it. You're just on this side. Yeah. And there's a chasm between God and, sorry, Dave, but men. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sinners. Really bad sinners. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And um, we've got to breach, we've got to get across this chasm. And so this rope is going to be that, this looks sturdy enough to do it, right? We can do it with this rope. Uh, this is going to represent what it is that we trust in to get there, to get to God, from there to God. Now, it's one thing, though. I'm going to, this, can you see that? That is some thread. Let's see if we can, yes. How are we going to do this, Dave? Find it on there? Yeah. Here, hold that for a second. So I'm tying this thread on. What do you think? Does a thread look as trustworthy 
as the rope. Somebody said no. That was pretty perceptive. Okay, reel that thing out. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go about halfway here. Now think about that verse we've been looking at. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What's it say? It says, that's good right there. Now you hold tight. It says that for by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay. Not as a result of works. And and it's said before that it's a gift of God. This rope is representing Jesus Christ. And when you go out on this rope, you are, you're putting your faith in him and it's, it's steady. The thread is representing our works. The thread is representing everything else that you're going to put your faith on except Jesus Christ. So many people have this idea, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's a good guy and everything. But I also think that you got to do everything right and you got to try hard. And maybe if I do it all right and I'm not too bad of a person, I will be forgiven. That's the thread. So let's say, though, that there that the person is thinking that it's about half and half. I trust in Jesus for half of my forgiveness. I trust in myself and my own efforts, maybe even in the church and whatever. I trust in other things for the other half. What's going to happen when we, he puts his weight on this? Is he going to make it? No. Okay, reel this this way a little bit. Well, then let's change it to about three quarters. What happens? Pull it tighter there. So now it's Jesus 75% of the way, but I trust in myself and how good I am and what I can do for 25%. Now I'm okay, right? No. All right, let's do a little more. Let's get to within about a foot. Now it's Jesus, I put my faith in him, but I'm still trusting a little bit in myself and how good I am. Now I'm good because I'm mostly Jesus, right? Wrong. Well, how small can it be? All right, let's get down to an inch. All right, we got an inch to go. This is good enough, right? No. And that's what scripture is saying. It's, if it's all Jesus, you're good. But if it's the little bit of you, you will perish because the the thread will snap and you're going to fall to your death because it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is Christ and you trust in Christ, not works. Works is the thread. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll just lay this down. You can can go down now. And my question for you right now is, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? Or are you in your heart, in the heart of hearts, you're still trusting somehow in your own goodness and your own ability in anything other than Christ? If you're doing that, that's the thread And that is what the Bible calls works. But if you cast all that aside and say there is an incomparable one, this redeemer, this bridegroom, this advocate, this friend, 
And I am putting 100% of my trust for forgiveness of my sins. I'm putting it in him. The Bible says you, you will be forgiven and you will have new life. You are reconciled with God because it comes by faith. Amen? Amen. I leave you with that question. Have you cast aside all other hope and trusted only in Christ to save you and deliver you? No one else perhaps knows. It could be that you've been in this church for years. It could be that, that you've been in churches for years. But, but as the word of God is explained to you, and it might be that your spouse doesn't even know what's going on inside your heart. Or the, a good friend of yours. They don't even realize it, but you're wrestling. And you're realizing now, I haven't actually trusted completely in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now before we leave this room. You just call out to God and say, I, I cast everything else aside And I trust Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. Let's pray. Let's pray together. I'm going to be silent for a moment and let each of you pray. And if you yourself want to tell that to God, that this is the time, Lord, I'm going to trust in you completely. You do that in this quietness. And then I'll close us in prayer audibly in a few moments. Our Father, we worship you. We have sung of your glory this morning. And we want you to be glorified, Father. And we desire that you glorify yourself through our lives. And, O oh Lord, you glorify yourself greatly as you save people. And, Father, I pray for every person here that, that is questioning, that is wondering, that is sensing you moving in their lives. I ask, O Lord, that you would continue drawing them to yourself. I pray, O Father, for each one um, that, that, that is unsure that they would cast themselves completely on Jesus Christ, that they might know what it means to be redeemed, to be saved, to be reconciled with you, to go into death unafraid, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So have your way, Father, in our midst, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.